0: in hopes that someone will be inspired to take action and live life with passion and purpose. Welcome to the Uncover Your Magic podcast with me, Ashley Gonner. Are you ready? Here we go. Hello there and welcome back to Uncover Your Magic. Are you ready to meet someone? with so many talents, it will seem unbelievable. You are going to gain a whole new perspective on astrology, mediumship, animal communication, and the list goes on. When I listen to podcasts, I listen to ones that are similar to my message so I can find guests that I want you all to meet and learn from. I listened to Maria Menouno's podcast, Better Together, and I heard this woman and was in awe of her message and her abilities. So I reached out, and like magic, she said yes. These are the moments when having a podcast makes me so excited, because I don't know of another time I would get an hour conversation with someone as amazing as Jessica Lignato. What really hit me in this interview after meeting Jessica is the realization that we can all tap into these gifts, We are all capable. We just don't try or believe it to be true or possible. Listening to Jessica's magical gifts she has covered in her life is amazing. I know you will love this episode. Before we begin, just a reminder to sign up for my five-day Kiss Your Limiting Beliefs Goodbye Challenge. It is absolutely free. By the end of the five days, you will have transformed your thoughts and your perspective on life in an entirely new way. I also have my April's guest, Maddie Sparkles, on the calendar to speak about the angels and so much more of Maddie's beautiful magic. All the links can be found in the show notes. And again, as always, email me if you want to find out about my Raising Confidence course for teens, or you want to join me on a magical journey in the Magic Path course. Let me tell you about Jessica before I bring her on. Jessica Lignato is a humanistic astrologer, psychic medium, tarot reader, and animal communicator. She started her private practice in San Francisco in 1994 and has met with thousands of people across the globe for one-on-one couples and business consultations. Jessica has lectured extensively taught astrology and offered live mediumship events. She facilitates communication between the living and their lost loved ones, and she's helped people connect with their pets through live animal communication. She is the host of the top-ranking astrology and advice show, Ghost of a Podcast, the co-founder of the Get Out of the Vote project called Zodiac the Vote. And she was the co-host of TLC's digital show, Stargazing. Her first book, Astrology for Real Relationships, was published by Penguin Random House, and it came out in 2020. So let's please welcome Jessica to the show. Thank you for being here. Very much appreciate this time with you because I've been following you. I've done my deep dive on Jessica Lignado and <laughs> I've loved it and you know this podcast is called Uncover Your Magic and I know that when I learned about your childhood and you know I have two girls teenagers where you kind of started like your expertise is astrology I've already that whole astrology and how it's kind of come to this place now at 2020 but back when you were 12 when you got your first book mm-hmm. and you started to be interested in that so yeah. why I'm asking you that and just start there is you know I have two girls that I want to like let's start thinking of things that you love what are the passions so we can start cultivating that and seeing where it goes and maybe it doesn't go anywhere but maybe it does and that's where where I thought what at 12 years old you know, started that spark in you?
1: Well, I don't know. So I was raised in Canada and I believe you had this in the US, but do you remember Sydney Omar? He was like the supermarket astrologer. There were these little like scrolls yes. like at the front oh of my the gosh. supermarket. Yes. That oh, we is, used to buy those.
0: Oh my gosh, We were obsessed
1: because there was <gasps> no access to this. astrology before the internet. It was Sidney Omar's star charts or whatever. And he was in all the supermarkets and that's, and that's how they sold it to women basically. And so I kind of like rewind, rewind. I, remember my first interest in astrology, I remember being on Hot Wheels in (laughs) 1981 or two. And I was like, I'm a Capricorn. And that means I'm going to keep all my wisdom teeth. Now, there's no way I, like nobody told me that the zodiac sign of Capricorn is associated with teeth and wisdom, but I was right about that. So like, that was my first. And by the way, knock on wood, I'm 47 years old and I have all my wisdom teeth. <sighs> uh, let the, for, let me keep them forever. So I started at an unreasonably young age being interested in astrology. And I lied to you about the year. It was not 81. It was, it was in the late seventies, but whatever. The point is I was... It was somewhere in that mix, right? Where it was on the heels of the seventies when astrology was really popular, but by the eighties, there was a backlash to that. And so many other things that it's not like it was around me. It wasn't around me, but I talked about it a lot. I talked about astrology. I think I, you know, I was probably making stuff up. I was probably pretending on new things, but my mother noticed that I wouldn't stop talking about astrology. So for my 12th birthday, she bought me that Sydney Omar's book on Capricorns. And it was this massive book, And I just, I studied it like a Bible until I was in my later teens and I was going to an alternative college where there was um, an introduction class to astrology from a Jungian perspective. And that was when I was like, okay, so this is, this is what I'm going to do. And I didn't, I was so young and it didn't occur to me, oh, that's bold. Like it did not seem bold to me. It just seemed like a natural extension of my interest. It was really the only thing I was interested in. So yeah, it just kind of went from there. Did you,
0: yeah. Lynn, have you ever done anything where, cause I'm wondering in your past lives, were you associated with that in some way? Is there a familiarity to but you? That's a great question. So,
1: I, I don't have a substantive answer to that. Cause I don't really know, but I will say that for me, for much of my evolution as an astrologer and in later years as a psychic and a medium and an animal communicator, it has come on for me as a remembrance, as opposed to like brand new information, which is why when I was, you know, very, very small, I was thinking about wisdom teeth, which how did right. I even know wisdom teeth were a thing? I did yeah. not have all of my teeth. I, yeah, it's been a remembrance. So astrology is very mathematical and requires a lot of memorization and study. So it's not like it has all been a remembrance, but at the beginning, at the beginning it, it was. And So to me, that kind of like sparks like, okay, so I must have done this before I came in with some sort of like knowledge that I just needed to like download it into the system and start using the program, if you will. So yeah, I, I always almost feel bad explaining how I got into astrology because it's so anticlimactic. It's just the thing I was always into. Yeah. I love that.
0: Yeah. That's cool. That's how lovely is that part of your life to just know what you want and go for it. and
1: And I'll add to that, especially if you have like younger listeners, that I had no financial ambition, none. I had no interest in going to university. I had no interest in thinking about like owning things or making money. And it was a different time where the cost of living was also substantially less. And I wasn't comparing myself to a million people on the internet who had more resources than me or who were smarter than me or moved quicker than me. And so all of those things really helped me Because I wasn't thinking like, oh, I should get a job like all my peers. I wasn't thinking that way at all. Um, And some of that's, you know, my upbringing, some of that's my personality, some of that's the time. And I think it's a lot harder for young people today because they're all exposed to so many people like this, like 30 under 30 list makes people crazy. Like, you know, so I think that's also part of why I gave myself a green light to explore my interests because I didn't have shoulds in my head. I just, I felt like I should explore what I was passionate about. And that was kind of my only should. And it's much harder unless you come, unless you have like, you know, family inheritance, financial family inheritance, it's much harder to do that in today's world. And yeah. So, so I feel like that's an important caveat.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that's amazing. And I, you know, I, you wish that for everyone. I was one of the drifters that didn't know what I was. I changed my major 50 times. That's probably why that's so attractive to me of how you've started and how you knew and why I teach kids to find, to have intention in their life and listen yes. to their intuition and teach them that. Because I feel that, gosh, that would save so much time, you know, and so much, you know, moving, uh, wasted, whatever, but it's not wasted, but. You know what I mean? Like I this do. Is where they feel that.
1: I'll also throw into the mix that I'm from the province of Quebec and we have a different school system. So high school goes grade seven to 11. And then there's a two year government funded college program called CSHAP and you take university courses. But it's like it was sixty dollars a semester. I'm sure it's more now, but it it's not like a college. And so there was this very low stakes environment where you were taking university classes. So you could determine what you wanted without it being a bazillion dollars a semester. And so I did do that and that, and I was incredibly lucky because that's where I learned astrology formally. But again, I see that as part of my story of how I was able to give myself the green light to even do that because I was in a supportive environment. Like the educational system was supportive to someone like me because I wouldn't have done what I did if I was in university, there's no way I would have studied psychology. It wouldn't have worked, but I would have wondered why, like it would have been a whole thing. And as it was in, you know, the first decade of my private practice, I was really concerned about whether or not I should leave astrology and go and become a licensed therapist, because I understood what I was doing was counseling people and that therapists have community and they have roles. And I craved those things um, Mm -hmm. because I was like, you know, working alone in a basement basically. And eventually I realized I didn't want to be curtailed in the ways that therapists can be. And so I didn't do that. But again, it's like, I I got, I got a little lucky, I think with like, I happened to have been raised in Montreal, Quebec. So, you know, I had access to the school system and it happened to have happened in this one year that the Jungian psychology teacher in the main college taught an introduction to astrology from a Jungian perspective, which was like a perfect introduction to astrology for me. So I think
0: coincidences.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's about like leaning into serendipity when you're young is can be easier if people don't get caught up in comparing themselves.
0: Yeah. And I think that's
1: a problem for so many, so many of everyone, of everyone, every age, but certainly when we're young and certainly in the day of social media, you know, it really Uh, Yeah. That takes it to
0: the next level for sure. And I just, it makes me crazy when I just having my two teenagers with that added to their life, you know, I mean, it is for everyone, but especially for little teenage girls, especially it's interesting as a mother in these years. Right. But okay. So here you are an astrologer, right. But now we're adding, so I've been, you know, doing my Jessica (laughs) you know, all the listening, but I, I want to know where did the psychic, the medium and the animal communicator come in?
1: Cause I don't know that. Did it all yeah. come in at the same time? Ish, not exactly, but ish. So for the first 10 years of my astrology practice, I, people would th- say to me, Jessica, you're psychic. And I'd be like, no, honey, I'm a good astrologer. I mean, you just don't understand what astrology is. And they'd be like, mm, yeah, but you're a psychic. And honestly, most of them were wrong. It was astrology, but At a certain point, I started doing tarot readings in like clubs. You know, like I would I would do like a tarot Tuesdays night. And oh, cool! Yeah, it was really it was really fun. I also did tarot readings in a hair salon, so people would have like their hair processing, and then they'd sit with me and process their lives. You know, and it was really fun, and it was also a great way for me to learn because I just had experience like tons of experiences consulting with different kinds of people over a number of years, and through all of that, I had this opportunity, this woman walked into a bar one night where I was doing tarot readings. And she said to me, I want you to feel this ring that this man gave me and tell me what you see about him. And I was like, honey, I'm not, I'm not psychic. I can't do that. And she was like, I believe in you, please do it. I trust you. And I had terrible boundaries because I was young. And I was like, okay, it's your dollar, but just so you know, I can't do that. And so I held the man's like the ring that this man had given her. She was this beautiful young woman. She was in her mid late twenties and just gorgeous. And I held this ring in my hands and this kind of image in my mind bloomed of this older chubby balding, very unattractive in my estimation guy, no one I would think she would be with. (laughs) And I was like, well, that has to be wrong. So I told her because I was like, you know, this will be quick, you know, we'll be done. And she was like, oh my God, that's him. And I was like, oh, so I just kept on telling her what I saw and she was like, yes, that's all correct. And then she gave me another piece of jewelry that the other man, she was stuck between two men, had <laughs> given her. And again, I saw a chubby, balding, older man. And I was like, well, clearly I'm making things up at this point. So I told her what I saw, assuming again, like, okay, so I got lucky. It's nothing. Let's see what happens. And she was like, exactly. That's him. That's him. So I had this experience at this bar one night when I was trying to do tarot readings that Really was pivotal for me because I couldn't explain it away. I couldn't say, oh, I got it from body language or, oh, I read it in a birth chart or I got it from show cards. It was really just I touched an object Hmm. and and I had that sense of knowing. And so at that point, I started to kind of explore my psychic ability. Um, And from then, uh, from that kind of like exploration, it bloomed. And with that, dead people started coming in. Which again, I didn't believe. I didn't think it was possible. I didn't want it. I didn't try for it. I didn't take classes or anything like that. But I started having experiences with clients that were there's no other way to explain it. You know, I was able to give people details from dead people, and it was really a pivotal experience. And it changed my life dramatically. I mean, it changed my life dramatically, as you'd imagine, because I was talking to dead people. <laughs> like that's <laughs> you know, that's the whole thing. That's whole thing. But also, you know, I this all happened in my early to mid 30s, and you know, I there were things I did like recreational drugs. It wasn't heavy or anything. Just like I smoked weed and stuff like that. I had to stop. I had to get healthy in my body. I had to make a decision about how I wanted to live, and. It wasn't because I had an addiction or it was anything terrible. It's because I had to level up. And I think that even for people who aren't doing psychic work, people who are just like, you know, you're invested in being in advertising and it's really important to you. For a lot of us, when we find something we love, we have to get healthier in order to be worthy of it, Mm -hmm. in order to engage with it. And that is what happened for me. And it was a rough couple of years, to be honest, because I didn't know how to control my gift. And so I would go to a dinner party and there would be dead people trying to talk to me. And you know, I would go out on a date and there would be like dead people sitting on the bench in the park where I was trying to like have a nice kiss with someone. It was terrible. Honestly, it was not great. It was, I mean, are you
0: seeing them or are you just feeling them? They're
1: talking to you and you're just feeling the spirit. It's so this sounds creepier than it is. I will preface this, but, um, so I don't see them with my eyes most of the time. Every once in a while, I will see a spirit with my eyes, and I very, very much do not like that. Most of the time, it's like okay. So the way I describe <laughs> the way I describe how I see dead people is kind of like okay. And you're in my age group, so this will work on you. Usually, I have to change it for people these days. But <laughs> do you remember Stairway to Heaven? You remember that Led Zeppelin of course, album, yes? And you remember like staring at that Led Zeppelin album, yes? You remember I can see it song. You can see it in your mind. Yes, that's how I see dead people ah it's not you're not seeing with your eyes, but you're you see it, and it's not just seeing with the seeing comes a feeling, it comes audio like there's all these sensory yeah. impressions that we have when we're remembering. see with younger people, I say lemonade by beyonce but, <laughs> but you know i I prefer zeppelin, so that's what I'm going to do with you, so yeah, so for me when I am like seeing a dead person, when I'm talking to a dead person, when I'm hearing them, sometimes they'll give me smells. Sometimes they'll give me visuals. They often give me feelings. And then the creepy part, which I didn't want to lead with is they will often jump into my body. And that is not my favorite thing, but oh dear, yeah, but it is the quickest way for me to get the most information. And so I did that for many years as I would let them hop in and at a certain point, it started to create real health problems for me so I had to find a different way to communicate with the dead. And, you know, in fact, um, I stopped seeing clients, you know, at the start of 2020, because I knew we were going to have a pandemic to deal with. And in this period, I mean, I have encountered more dead people than I ever thought. Oh, wow. Whatever happened.
0: Yeah. It's been, it's been because of everyone that's been dying from the COVID yes. from the, yeah. Oh, interesting.
1: Yeah. yeah. Dying scared. Is it, There's been an inordinate amount of death, just unprecedented amount of death. Right. And also people who are dying of COVID are often dying alone. And not just alone, but like the the hospital staff are completely covered. So they can't see anyone. You know, it's it's a very Uh. unique global experience. And yeah, it's been very very difficult, of course, for everyone. So, yeah. So this is a big part of why, you know, there's lots of reasons why I'm not seeing clients currently, but that's actually one of them. So when they come into your body, when you allow that, are you changing
0: your energy or your vibration to allow that, or it just comes in regardless?
1: Yeah. Yeah. They come in and it's not like, sometimes it's not like I'm allowing it. It's just like, it happens, you know, it's, and sometimes like if I'm in a consultation, I might make a decision, like I'm just going to be open. And sometimes I am really clear. I'm not going to be open, but it takes, it's a lot more effort for me to not let them in my body than to let them in. And, you know, a lot of times the experience for me is really just, they're able to show me what they felt and what they Mm -hmm. think and how they process. Like you can tell me something about how you parent and how you feel about your elder child and how the two of you argue. But if you were a dead person and you were sharing that with me, I would feel your feelings about it and be present with your assumptions and all manner of things that you couldn't just verbally communicate to me sitting here right now. Right. Mm -hmm. I would have access to your internal experience. And so you can see why it's tempting for me to want to do that for my clients to be able to communicate with their lost loved ones. But you know. It gets real, real sticky and tricky real quick. So if if I came to you
0: for a reading and I wanted you to bring my dad in, you would just sit there and say, okay. And then he would come in and you would talk like he's talking to me.
1: Yeah. Sometimes people say that I sound just like their lost loved one. Like I'll use the same kind of language or I'll start talking really slow or really fast. Um, you know, I cuss a lot. I have a potty mouth. And when I'm talking to a dead person who doesn't like cussing, they get very annoyed with me because uh, <laughs> they don't want me cussing on their behalf. Um, I, you know, have talked to people who have died who are very religious, always, always Christian, um, religious, and they don't like me. Because I'm, you know, a weirdo hippie medium, huh. but they're willing but you to work sense with that me. you sense yes. they're not yes. liking you for sure. Yeah, or huh. they tell me they don't like me. I mean, I've talked to you know plenty of dead men who are just like they like to flirt, they like to be charming. You know what I mean? Like when we die, we're we're still ourselves. We're just not in our bodies anymore. And from my experience, and and this is simply my experience, and I know that a lot of people are very strong and very personal. Spiritual convictions, and I don't want to contradict them. This is simply my experience as a medium. From my experience, when we die, our bodies die, and we return to a state of greater wholeness where there is no there, there. So there's no heaven and there is no hell. Um, There is here. We live in hell all the time. We live in heaven for moments, or at least. But the idea of heaven and hell is a very human invention. It's the concept of a location. And there is no location in the realm of spirit because spirit is energy which is interconnected. Mm -hmm. And so I've had the incredible honor because I've been doing this work for so many years and I have many clients I've been working with for a very long time to connect with dead people and see them evolve over the course of time into more spiritual beings that resonate less and less with the person they were in this lifetime. And it's a radically different thing. It's, Hmm. it's, and then to at a point they will evolve past what I can connect with. And that doesn't mean they can't choose to like come in and communicate with me, but a lot of times they don't need to anymore. And it's just, it's really beautiful. I have as a medium, I have no fear of being dead. I have fear of dying because that's painful for a lot of people and for most people it's quite physically painful so I'm scared of that but I am not scared of being dead and there is no need to be scared of being dead because it's as easy as breathing it really is it, you know so that said if you die a jerk you're a dead jerk <laughs> <laughs> you know and i and i think that that just means that you have issues to work out on a different plane and so For me, I am committed to doing as much as I can in this lifetime to be healthy and right with myself so that when I pass, I have less luggage to schlep around basically.
0: So you do feel their personality, obviously. Yes. And they have the same personality as they had. Like sometimes, what was I listening to? I was listening to Abraham Hicks one time and she's, when she lost her husband, she kept missing who he was, but she kept, do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yes. And then she kept one. And then finally she realized it's, he's in a different energy, pure love.
1: Right. Is that. Yes. Yeah. Well, he also was a remarkable person who led a remarkable life. Right. I mean, I think that, you know, he had a really difficult death. He had cancer at the end. eh? And I'm sure that that was quite difficult because they had this idea that you didn't have to get sick. Right. And I think that must've been quite difficult for him. I can only imagine, but then He was a spiritual person in a particular way that I imagine that the transition into death was pretty easy for him. It is for a lot of people, a lot more people than you'd expect. And when you seek to connect with your lost loved one in the hopes that they are the same, sometimes you get lucky, but it's not that they're lucky. It's that you're lucky. And when Mm. they're lucky, they're not the same. Right. And some people, when they die, make a clear decision. I am going to stay with my loved ones. I'm going to stick around. And that's not a a hardship or a burden for them. It's it doesn't harm them to make that choice. But I could see why someone as spiritual as him who left a wife behind who had who had Abraham who didn't actually need him in that particular way would allow himself to evolve so quickly. So I've talked to people who've been dead for, you know, generations and they're still themselves. And I've talked to people who've been dead for two years and I can barely access them because they've evolved so much. It's not a time thing. And this is really important because time only exists for humans, right? Because if you even think about it, like a bumblebee experiences time radically differently from a spider who experiences time radically differently than my cat who experiences time radically differently than me and you. Right, Time is not just an earth thing or a body thing. It's the kind of body you have. And it's the lifespan that you're connected to. It's the planet you live on. And so we don't need to worry about time for our lost loved ones, but we do want to kind of know that as much as you can connect with a medium, there's no way away from grief. There's no way around grief. You know, when right. you lose someone, even if you, are a medium and you can talk to them, they're still not here. And that's heartbreaking. And that's part of, I always refer to grief as the shit side of love. It's it's the difficult part, but every light casts a shadow and grief is the shadow to love, right. which is why even when we're alive, people we love, sometimes something happens with them and it kicks up feelings of grief that don't quite make sense because we just had a fight or it's just like they're gone for 2 weeks or something but right. that's part of love mm-hmm. you know and and i think we as a society would we do well to normalize conversations about it but again it's difficult for some people because their spiritual convictions just don't run this way so again you know i hold yes. space for that
0: okay so if you explain to me that if i'm all the kind of person that wants to grow in this life and i'm all constantly learning and growing. Am I going to continue on that path? Is that the difference between mm. the people that just stay stagnant and sit around their loved ones and don't go on and grow, continue interesting,
1: on? Interesting. Well, first of all, the, it's not inherently stagnant to stay with loved ones. It, it can be, but a lot of times I have connected with dead people who stick around because that's how they're learning and that's how they're growing. And Or they're doing it out of like love and service to those they've left behind. So it's not inherently stagnant at all. It can get stagnant, but it's not inherently stagnant. And it is possible that you will choose and it will be organic. It won't be like a a cognitive choice, right? That you will choose to stick around to see your great grandchildren because that is what's true. And it may be that you're like, oh, I've lived this life and I'm ready to live the next life that I'm in, you know, I'm ready to be where I am. And it's not better or worse in my experience. It really isn't better or worse. It's just different. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking right now of this one woman who I is now in her eighties and we started working together. I don't know, maybe 15 years ago, something like that, because her mother passed away. And she had cared for her mother for many, many years. they had lived together, I think, 20 years. they were very, very close. And her mother passed away and was in her business every day, every hour of the day. Her presence (laughs) could be felt. She had, whenever we would do reading, she had so much to say. And she really stuck around until my client's husband developed dementia and then eventually passed from it. And it was through the process of him passing that she really transitioned. And there is like a larger picture to that choice that I don't understand. It's not for me to understand. And she's still around my client, but it's different now. She is different now. And it's not because of the physical time. It's because of her perspective, which I can't share, you know, about what is right for her child, who is now, you know, a very grown up woman. So it's not there's not like a hierarchical evolution thing, right? I've seen terrible people evolve quickly, (laughs) you know? Um, And there are terrible people. I think it's important to not be idealistic. There are abusers and and people who just make bad choices about how to be a human. And Hmm. when they pass, they pass with all of that. And that gets reckoned with in a way that is like not my business to police or anything like that, but it gets reckoned with. Is it, it in means. the
0: life review, I've always been listening to that. Is it like that's a there's a life review right after you like go.
1: Th- I've never encountered that. Oh, in my experience. So to be clear, like I, I communicate with people who are dead who are ready to communicate. Right. So in my experience, there's what I call the cocoon phase after we pass. It's not purgatory. It's nothing related to purgatory. But many people. Not all people when they pass will stay in this really self protective cocoon for a period where they're not available for communication. I could force them, like I could actually like knock and knock and knock on the cocoon and they'd come out, but I would never do that. Do you see them
0: in a cocoon? Is that a visual that you or you just just sense it? it?
1: It's more, it's more like how I try to communicate it to people. Because again, if I give you a visual reference, you know what I'm saying, right? So it's definitely not. There's no there there. There's nothing physical, but it's like being encased in something protective where you're not doing anything. You're in a state of repose. So someone else might look at that and, and say that it's like a, a life review. I see it more as when babies are born, we put them in like a little, like a thing, I don't know what it's called, but a thing so that they're like, you know, safe and we're, we're monitoring them and all that kind of right. stuff. It's closer to that. It's a state of like, wow, you just went through something big and you're going to be there. And I've seen people be there for very long periods of time and people be like, bloop. And then straight out, like, and it's not a better or worse. It's just a thing. Like mm-hmm. a lot of times when people have very difficult debts they will stay in that cocoon phase for a little longer. And there's a lot of ways to have a difficult death When people I, I'm thinking right now of someone that I spoke with who her whole life was taking care of people. That was her whole life. She got married very young. She had a bazillion children and then a bazillion grandchildren. And all she did was take care of people. She took care of her husband until he died. And you know, like that was just everything. So when she died, Oh, that was a luxurious cocoon phase for her. She stayed a long time Uh, because she was taking care of herself and she wasn't answering to anyone. And it wasn't that she didn't love her family. She lived for her family. She loved her family. It was just the greatest gift her soul could receive was not being accountable to anyone but herself. And it was the first time in her life, you know? So yeah, it's hard to not project our human experience onto death because of course, how you know, how do you think about right, no time and out. no space? Right. But um, that's been my experience. And, you know, there's different mediums who have different experiences, but that's certainly been mine. Yeah. Do they
0: come in groups ever? Like, you know, Only always... through
1: COVID. Only through oh, COVID. Yeah. Okay. And they've come in some big groups. Yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah. Uh, we could talk about uh, mediumship all day long. I've had yes. a few on this show and it's so fascinating to see the, you know, the similarities and, you know, an evidential medium. I've had a, you know, where they really bring something and you're like, whoa.
1: Yeah.
0: But so when, and now let's go to, well, I want to talk about. So I pulled up your website and I did my birth chart and I'm learning about, you know, all your, you know, the sun and the moon and Mercury. And, and I always heard about Mercury in retrograde. Yes. <laughs> that's the, you know, everywhere. But it go a little bit into, you know, when you do read someone's chart and, Look at what, so I know that you have three Capricorns. I was listening to something. Sun, Moon, and Rising are all Capricorn. Mm -hmm. Sun, Moon, and Rising. Those are the three main things you look at. Okay. So the best
1: way to put it is the high, high, high my name is, is Sun, Moon, and Rising. So it's not the most important things. Okay. I think that the way that astrology, like pop astrology, is oriented, it's the three most important things. These are very important things, but it depends on how we're defining importance.
0: So when I say my sun is Sagittarius, my moon is Libra. I don't know what my rising is.
1: Mm. Um, the rising is also called my birth the ascendant. Chart. Okay. Mm-hmm. No,
0: <laughs> I didn't write it down. It was yeah. it's
1: still, I had
0: it on my, I anyway. Mm-hmm. So my, my, uh, when I, when you say you have three Capricorns, those are all three Capricorns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what They're is that? Capricorn. Why, why is that so powerful?
1: Well, the sun in astrology is related to your identity and your sense of self. So whenever somebody says, I'm a Capricorn, I'm a Leo or whatever, you're saying what your sun sign is. The reason why sun sign astrology is so popular is two reasons, according to me. One is it's about identity. So of course, you know, astro- pop astrology is about me, me, me. And right. then the other reason why is because the sun never retrogrades and it moves a degree per day. So it's easy to chart. It is the only planet that's easy to chart, which is why magazines, newspapers, blogs, all this kind of stuff, you can just be like, oh, your sun is in X without any astrological investigation. Everything else takes investigation. So that's why we have sun sign horoscopes and why sun sign astrology is so popular. Now, the moon in astrology. It's your emotions. The moon governs your feelings and your needs, how you care for other people, how you want to be loved or cared for. It's also your digestive system. It's how we digest food, but also our emotions are how we digest information and experiences. The moon is related to your home and your family, your memories, uh, that kind of stuff. And then the rising sign also called the ascendant. It's the energies you throw into a room when you first enter it. It's kind of like what you want people to see of you, which is different than what you are. Right. Now, for Mm -hmm. me personally, because I've sun, moon, and rising all in the same zodiac sign, um, it's not different. Right. But for most people, we have all three of those things in three different signs. Like you do, probably we don't know what your rising is. But because of that, there's like you said, you're we don't know your rising, but like if your son is Sagittarius, you know, you would be, you know, spontaneous and, uh, and ambitious with following through on your ideas and ideals and wanting to inspire people you like to create energy and and help people to follow that energy that's very sagitarian but your rising sign could contradict that in some ways so that the way that people first experience you is different now that said astrology is very complicated and whenever I talk about it like I want to be like, let me really explain it to you. But honestly, it's it's complicated, it gets confusing very quickly. And I think part of why astrology has like such a hokey kind of reputation is because it has to be so dramatically dumbed down to explain to people because it's so boring to explain it in a real way. It's really mm-hmm. boring. So I hope this makes sense. So basically what I'm what I'm trying to get at is. I am a triple Capricorn, but I don't look like a typical Capricorn. The stereotype of Capricorns is they look very conservative. They wear lots of dark colors. I Mm. am not any of those things. And that's because I have 30 degrees of Aquarius and a couple of planets in the sign of Aquarius in my first house. So when people meet me and they just like interact with me for a few minutes, they think, oh, that's an Aquarius because I got all the Aquarius vibes. But when you talk to me, you hear about the things I think about and like how I actually am. You're going to get Capricorn vibes. So it's we. There's a lot of layers to it. I don't know if I went off on a tangent, but hopefully no, you that didn't. answered. But your yeah, <laughs> I
0: think because I went on when I did my birth chart and I was reading. I mean, it's definitely something you'd have to go. You know, sit with someone to go through. There's, I mean, the degrees and all that stuff. Yeah, it's a lot of. And then I saw the synastry and the composite chart, and that's a relationship. If anyone go to her website and it's so cool because you can print it and look about, look, make sure, you know, your where you were born. The time isn't yep. that important, but it's better. It's more accurate. The
1: time the time's really important. So the rising the sign, really important. the way that the rising sign is determined. So, okay. I'm going to give you a very brief breakdown. The astrologers look at a book called the ephemeris. If you Google it, or if you go to a bookstore and you look at it, you're like, oh, it's just, a bunch of symbols and numbers. That's all it is. And what it does is it tracks the movement of the planets through the Zodiac degrees. And so with just your date of birth, we can find out where all the planets were at the time of your birth, at the date of your birth, except not the moon, because the moon moves so quickly. It might be in two different signs in a given day. So if you're born in the morning, it might be Uh, a different moon sign than the evening. Okay. Also the degrees are really important. However, to find out the rising sign, AKA the ascendant, you need to know the exact time of birth because, and this is my best way I figured out how to describe this. It's like, so basically the rising sign sets the whole wheel of the birth chart and has a massive impact on, on your astrology. But the way that we cast it is by figuring out your exact time of birth at the latitude and longitude of your birth. We see what degree, what Zodiac sign was rising in the Eastern hemisphere. That's why we call it the rising rising. sign. Got it. And so if you're like, I was born around three, it's like me saying, I live on market street around the 300 block, like good luck finding it. You can knock on a lot of doors (laughs) and end up in the wrong house, you know? And so we need to know the exact address if we want to get into the house and explore. Right. So the exact time of birth is important for your rising sign, your moon sign and your house placements. Got it. Okay. Talk about the Pluto return. Oh, you want me to talk about the Pluto return? It's really negative and terrible. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Sorry, I'm laughing. It's a nervous laugh. The Pluto return of the United States. This is a form of astrology called mundane astrology, where we explore the astrology of events. And the planet Pluto takes about 248, 249 years to return, to, to move all the way through the Zodiac. So the last time Pluto was at 27 degrees of Capricorn was when the constitution was written. So the birth of this nation, right? The United States. And this nation being a very young nation has not yet had a Pluto return. Other nations have, this one hasn't. And this transit, broadly speaking, can be associated with the fall of an empire. And the reason why this is, is because we must confront what we have done right and wrong, and in particular, the shames of a nation, which is why it's associated with the fall of an empire. Um, Broadly, Pluto entered into the sign of Capricorn in 2008 when Obama got his election, and it really stirred a lot of latent racism in a lot of people in this nation. And that is a huge part of the shame of our nation, right? Is racism and genocide of indigenous people and slavery. Mm -hmm. And it's the parts of our history that we haven't really reckoned with yet. And so over the last several years, it has become more and more a part of the national conversation and then international conversation about the United States. And so the transit came into exactitude where it will remain for two years February 22nd, which is when Russia invaded Ukraine and blamed a fair amount of it on the US. And the truth is, the US has, and there's like, you know, I won't go into the astrology of the US too much, but we as a nation have waged war on so many parts of the world. We are involved in so many military conflicts, not always as liberators, often as instigators. And again, we haven't dealt with that as a nation. Other countries talk about it, but we inside this country don't really talk about it. So I, Imagine that the Pluto return will be meaningful consequences about how we are as an international neighbor, as a global neighbor. And within that is a lot. Pluto is a planet that is associated with shame and resentment, and um, one of the planets associated with war. And unfortunately, this event is occurring at the same time as a series of other things astrologically that can be um that have historically been associated with war domestic so civil war and we are experiencing some astrology that we have not experienced since the civil war oh wow and also world war so we are experiencing some astrology that we have not experienced since world war 2 and it's quite alarming if i'm being honest i mean i'm sitting here smiling because it's alarming not because it's not alarming i'm just trying to Mary Poppins, it. I don't know. It's not working, but here we are. Yeah, it's quite bad. And in terms of what we can do, we cannot change the past. We, you know, unless somebody is like working in government high level, cannot change the government and what it does. But what we can do is really work with empathy, take responsibility, not only for our own behavior, but have acknowledgement of our own ancestry. And what our ancestors have done and what we may need to reconcile with that as spiritual people, but also as citizens, right. As like people living in community with each other and to work on looking at our own shadow within that, you know, Mm -hmm. but also staying engaged because Pluto is in Capricorn, which is very much like a politically active sign. It's about like how you engage like with your vote and with your money. It's very material. And so what I expect that we will see over these years domestically is more of what we've seen just in the last month, unfortunately, where we're seeing a lot of extreme right-wing legislation to control women's bodies, to control gender expression of children and homosexuality, right? So there's a lot of demonizing of all of these things. And when we legislate that people cannot have body autonomy and it's always geared at women and Mm -hmm. as an extension, gay people, when this happens, it is a very slippery slope to a lot of terrible things for everyone. Mm -hmm. So we must make noise. We must get politically active. And I think especially for spiritual people, it's easy to be like love and light or thoughts and prayers. And I'm a fan of that when it's paired with action, but when it's not paired with action, it's a lot of fluff, right? right? And so I think that our spiritual communities need to heed the wake-up call that we need to pair that action. You know, um, like what?
0: Give me an example. So,
1: so you know, one thing I did with the presidential election in 2020 was I started something called Zodiac the Vote, and it was a Get Out the Vote project for astrology fans mm-hmm. because there's a world, a very large world of people, majoritively women who will spend weeks studying the chart of someone that they have a crush on and have never talked to, but don't know who's who's like running for school board or who their senator is. And so Mm -hmm. I really believe in being in voting. And I think a lot of people don't vote for a lot of reasons. And I don't think any of them are great, to be honest. Um, They're all relevant. But worst case scenario, you vote and it doesn't do anything. That's your worst case scenario. but. That's not a big deal. Whereas, if your vote actually means something, if it matters, if it can make a difference, and you didn't vote, that is, that is a, a spiritual burden. It's a societal burden. So, my attitude is, eh, I don't know if voting will work, but you better believe I'm going to do it. Um, so, voting is one thing. When there are laws being uh, bills being considered or pa- you know laws being passed that are egregious that are unjust, it is important that we call or email our legislators, you know, and it's such a simple thing to do, especially these days. Cause there's like all these like texting tools that you don't even have to do anything. You can right. call and leave a voicemail when you know, they're not there. So you don't have to talk to a human. Like it's so insanely easy and we don't do it. I mean, we'll watch the bachelor and we'll vote on who should win on the like singing show, but we don't do it. And that needs to change because I personally don't have disability. So it's my responsibility to advocate for people living with disabilities. That's how I see it. You know, it shouldn't be on disabled people to advocate for themselves. I mean, obviously, yes, do that as well. But it's, if I have the like privilege of not having a disability that I'm living with, yeah, then it's my responsibility to care and to, to, to be actively engaged. And we can't do that for everything, but again, when we think about as spiritual people, as caring people, as people invested in psychology, how many psychological concepts am I aware of? How many psychological, spiritual concepts am I aware of? How right. many things have I tried? We need to apply that to collective good and not just individual good. And so that's, that's like a great starting point answer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you've got money to throw at people and organizations, please do. Yes. But it's not quite enough. It's a great start if you got if you got cash please throw it around but yeah but it's that's not all i think that's right. not all it's important that we challenge ourselves now because this is a challenging time and it will not get better on its own it will only get better if masses of people decide to make it better and if we don't it will get substantially worse unfortunately is what i i see and i will just preface that Or follow that up with, I know that there are many people who think, don't say something negative. You're putting it into the world. You don't want it to become bad. I've heard that from many people over the years. And I think there's truth to that. And also, if we look at what's literally happening in the material world, substantively, right? Mm -hmm. Look at the laws being passed. If we look at the human rights being violated, if we look at the world and we see that things are negative. We must name that so that we can cope with it. It's not calling it into the world. It's, you know, if it starts snowing, you can expect there will be snow on the ground.
0: Right. Not shoving it under the rug. Like, not exactly, exactly,
1: exactly. And and again, I, I think there's a big part of the spiritual communities that are like, I want to feel good. And that's the point. And I'm not about that. Feeling good is great when things are good. But if you touch a hot stove and it burns your hand, I'm happy for you because if you touch a hot stove and you don't feel your hand burning, you're in big trouble, (laughs) you know, and and, and that's a real thing. That's a real thing. So yeah, well,
0: that reminded me when I listened to you talk about, you know, telling people to watch the news, you know, everyone says, don't watch the news. Don't put that in your mind. I don't, you know, like I'm on a six month hiatus from turning on the TV. I don't want to put all this stuff in. And you want people to listen to or watch the news.
1: Yes. Yeah. Because for that reason,
0: because it's real and it's happening.
1: Exactly. So if it, if it was okay, so this is something I feel very passionate about, obviously, but the spiritual concept of don't lower your vibration, which is really what you're talking about. Yeah. is meant to be about you love your mother, but she's critical of everything you do. And every time you talk to her, she criticizes you. Okay, don't lower your vibration by taking it personally, by engaging with her. Maybe a great example of, of like in the, this, like made up example is when she starts criticizing you say, Oh, some, somebody just rang the bell, gotta go. That's how you don't lower your, your vibration. Then you don't think about it afterwards. Yes. You just drop it. And that's different than ignoring the world so that you personally can be comfortable. While the world around you burns, your comfort is what you're prioritizing. That's not the same thing. That's not about lowering your vibration. If as spiritual people, we don't have the capacity to feel bad. If we don't have the capacity to see evil and to say, oh, I can actually play a role in innocent people, not being harmed. um, Then what kind of spiritual people are we? We got our head in the sand. That's not to me. That's not spiritual. To me, that's disassociative. And I am really passionate about my spirituality being a functional thing in the world that makes the world better and doesn't just make me more comfortable mm-hmm. because that's not self-care that's self-indulgence. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. 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 I feel I, obviously very passionate yeah, about this. No,
0: you do. And I, yeah. it really hit me because I'm so, you know, used to, or, you know, I guess, I don't know, listening to people say, you know, don't. watch the news and don't get into. And then when I heard you say that, and I was trying to listen, I thought, Oh, you know, and then you explain it even just earlier about that, but yeah, I get it.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think within that part of what's really important is finding new sources that you have faith in, right. That, That you can trust. And I mean, to know how, I mean, I don't expect anyone to do what I do unless they're in politics or journalism or something, but I, I read multiple news sources that are in the U S and a few outside of the U S. So I get not just the same echo chamber of the same ideas. So I'm not CNN, MSN, New York times, whatever. Like I'm not doing just that. I'm looking at news from multiple countries to see how they report on things. I also have individual journalists like Jessica Yellen. I really love her. She's on Instagram and she has a newsletter and a podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's individual journalists and photojournalists that I will follow and listen to. And then there are news sources. And I think that part of it is like turning on the TV to watch news that you don't have faith in because they haven't earned your trust. Maybe that's not the move. It's about recognizing like, okay, there are other ways of getting news, right? you know, and and doing a little bit of research, but there are, you know, even in mainstream media, I think there are great, there are great reporters and, you know, reliable news sources out there. It just takes figuring out like, who do you trust and how do you want to be talked to?
0: Right. I get yeah. it.
1: Yeah.
0: We're coming to the end, That makes but me sad. I want to talk to, to you about a couple more things. Is that great. okay? Yeah, of course. Time constraint? I, love I should this. have asked yeah. you. Okay. So when um, you go to, I listen to health when you're, you can really see somebody's body their yes health. yeah I'm a
1: medical, intuitive medical and medical intuitive. Astrologer.
0: yeah okay go there tell me something
1: <laughs> so so the medical intuitive work that I do it's not the primary thing I do I usually do it in conjunction with medical astrology astrology um, okay and it's because of a couple things but the most simple way I can put it is my experiences that people are scared of being sick and being unwell. And it is terrifying for them, you know? And I don't want to, in any way, like I could be wrong. First of all, I'm not a doctor. I'm not right. a doctor. And, you know, every time on my podcast, I do a medical astrology reading, I get flooded with questions from pe- people being like, Oh my God, am I sick? Am I going to have this? Or I had you know. when I, and I've taught medical astrology to other astrologers, I've taught workshops and lectures and all that kind of stuff. And every time I do, I am flooded with people walking up to me at the end of my talk, being like, "I have this symptom. I have that symptom." Like, oh, so sure. I was a doctor. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, a medical astrology and medical intuitive work, in my view, should not replace meeting with a licensed physician who is a specialist with the body, because astrology and psychic stuff cannot replace physical uh, tending to the body. Right means of the body. So I, I need to preface it with that right, instead of, you know, it. to be an in integrity. But from my perspective, as an astrologer, the body is an extension of the soul, not the soul is an extension of the body. So we think of like, my soul is inside of me. No, your body is inside of your soul. Your soul is much bigger than your body, which is why when the body dies, the soul survives. Right, And so there is generally a larger reason or lesson to physical ailments, which does not mean it's a punishment or, you know, we, we, you know, I know I am not of the mind that anyone leaves their bodies alive. And most people who die, die of illness. That's, I mean, that's just how it goes. So I don't have like a, a judgment or a value associated with illness. It's, right. I hate it, but not, I don't like being sick. And I don't like seeing people be suffering, but I know, again, in some spiritual circles, there's this idea of like, if your vibration's low, then you can, you know, get sick. And uh -uh, I don't buy any of that. Part of what I learned through astrology is to track what is in the heredity, right? So we're talking about genetics and epigenetics. And when something is, when we are predisposed to something through our genes, through generations of our physical family, it's harder to heal that stuff because it's not just in your spirit, it's in your body. And when something's in your body, you want to pay extra attention. So that's where I tend to focus when I'm doing consultations with people. So if I see in someone's birth chart Jupiter squared to Saturn. Jupiter squared to Saturn in the birth chart is something that I look to for type 2 diabetes. It's not that everyone who has it has type 2 diabetes, but it's very common for me to see that. And when I look at that, the first thing I'm going to say to a client is, is there type two diabetes in the family? Mm -hmm. Not you are going to get type two diabetes. It's, is it in the family? And usually the answer is yes, not always, but most always. And then it's, have you drank a lot in your lifetime? Do you drink, do you eat a lot of sugar? Because those things are behavioral things that you can moderate so that you can control your blood sugar as you age. Right. And that's something you can do. If I see heart disease in the family, I will talk about stress management and I will ask if there's heart disease in the family and talk about ways of improving cardiovascular health, both through the psychology, but also Mm -hmm. through like, you know, doing the things we know we need to do for heart health, especially as we age. And I think it's dangerous as a spiritual practitioner to tell people what they're going to have, but instead to empower them to understand their predispositions and how to support their body in the present as a foundation to the future. Right. So I don't know if I answered quite what you meant. Yeah, but no,
0: I knew that. it all went connected to the, to the astrology. And I was listening to something like the most of the conversations I heard you talk about, you know, that you'd say something about uh, your thyroid, do you have, or family, you know, they're like, yes. yes, yes. Or, you know, it's always, it's like spot on, spot on. I mean, you're amazing. And Thank I just you. can't yeah. get over it. And the um, medical
1: astrology stuff, I honestly feel like on my podcast, Listeners would be thrilled if I did it every week. Um, yes, I bet. But I, yeah. I, I, and I, I didn't do it for years on the podcast and I try to do it sparingly now because like I said, people get real panicked, real panicked about it. And my greatest fear is that someone will hear what I'm saying and then go to their birth chart and be like, oh, I have a Jupiter Saturn square. I have type two diabetes. What does it mean? How am I going to do it? Like, that's the worst thing you could do because it's, We're not just looking at pieces. We're looking at the pieces in context of the whole. And the whole is about a lot of things. Like the stuff I'm going to say about medical, from a medical perspective, astrologically to a 20-year-old is different than a 30-year-old, which is different than a 70-year-old, et cetera, right? Right. Um, Because the body ages, we know that. Physical issues become more uh, difficult to become resilient to as the body ages, and that's not a value judgment; it's a physiological fact. So, how do we work with that? And I know, again, there are spiritual people who feel like we don't have to age, we don't have to die. And I'm such a Capricorn; I'm like, yeah, we do. We have to age, <laughs> we have to die, as every organism does, you know. And so, okay, so going
0: on to the aging thing, I was lo- I love the every seven years thing. Yes. And how the 20, like 28 and 33, and then 33, will you just explain that? Sure.
1: So what you're talking about is Saturn. So Saturn is a planet that is really important in astrology. It is related to many things, including maturization. And there's something called the Saturn return, which happens once every 29 years to everyone at the same age. And so when we're looking at Saturn, we see these, these like cycles of embodiment and, and maturization. So the first, okay, so let me find a better way of saying this, sorry, to, to really answer your question. So at around 29 years old, and then in your late fifties, and then around 90, right? At all of these times, it's when Saturn returns to the exact position it was when you were born. That's why we call it the Saturn return. But leading up to that every seven years, it makes a hard aspect. So the first one is at seven years old, which is an age when we know children become much more aware. Like if I was at the park and my parents weren't there, I know they weren't there. Whereas when they're younger than that, the kids kind of feel like, you know, the parents are an extension of them. Like, you, you know, right. everything I went through. Right. So seven is a real individuating moment. 14 is the next one. So it's like 14, 15 years old. We all know 14, 15 hormones. I have that right now. I'm sure you do. It is a very difficult age and it's this high water mark in the Saturn cycle. What 14 year olds do, how they feel about themselves, how they engage with the world lays a foundation that they will be struggling against and bouncing off of at 29. So it's a really important year, which is why 14 year olds tend to be miserable to be around because they are (laughs) struggling with their individuality. They're figuring out I have to fit into society. Yes. Oh my God. I have to get along with people. It's terrible. It's a terrible Mm -hmm. feeling. And Saturn governs depression, which is why it coincides with this hormonal spike for so many young people. And they feel depressed. It's like, they become aware of injustice in the world, right? They become aware of like, my parents don't know anything. Like I thought they knew everything. And now I get they're wrong. Like, this is a really serious thing that happens to every 14 year old in some way or another. And of course there's cultural issues, personality issues, et cetera. But then we have, uh, the next one happens seven years after that. So I'm 21 we have another Saturn square. And this is again, when we individuate it's when we, um, many young people are moving out of the home. They're getting jobs. They're figuring out. And a lot of young people get jobs at 14 as well, but it's figuring out like, how am I going to be an adult? Like, do I have to buy toilet paper? What's that mean? Like, do I have to keep on compromising? So all of the, um, blaming others and, you know, trying to figure yourself out that happens at 14. Now the tables turn a little and we're more accountable to ourselves. And then 29 hits. And around 28, 29 years old, we go through the Saturn return. And that is when for a couple of years leading up, we have this experience of we're running out of time. We have to figure things out. Many people break up with someone, you graduate from school, you end your childhood friendships. It's a real time of figuring out who you are and feeling like, oh snap, I got to figure this out yesterday. And then it's when, from an astrological perspective, the Saturn return is when you become an adult. So really what your twenties are from an astrological perspective is the adult phase of your childhood Mm, and what your thirties are, are the infancy of your adulthood. Right? Yes. I love
0: looking at that way.
1: Me too. And also as adults who've lived through these years and we're not like immediately in those years, I can look at my life and be like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. I mean, if I had said, I thought that, I thought that at the time because I was an astrologer at the time, but I thought, well, that doesn't apply to me. I'm very mature. I'm very mature. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't feel that way about themselves? Um, but, but the then the Saturn cycles keep on going. So it keeps on going into the second Saturn phase. And the second Saturn phase, of course, brings us to into retirement. It's a confrontation of now that I'm at the very infancy of my twilight years, and at that stage in the second Saturn return our priorities are meant to shift. It's not about going into the world and saying, this is who I am. This is what I do. It's about turning within to recognize who am I? Do I like myself? Do I like what I've done? And we have to fall back on the foundations we've built for ourselves or not. And so this is where the second of return can be quite difficult because so many of us make compromises that compromise ourselves and we never kind of recover. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people you know they'll put too much stock in their children in such a way that they don't build themselves as well right and in these actions or too much stock in their their work so that they don't build themselves as well and in in these actions we lose ourselves and this becomes quite painful because close to 60 again you feel like you're running out of time you feel like oh god what am i going <laughs> to do now and yet there's so much life left to live for so many people you know some people know but Lifespans are expanding for better or worse. Um, <laughs> and whatever it is that happens, it's important to know that we are always building off of the first 29 year cycle. We never get a different childhood. Your origin story is your origin story for better or worse. Yeah, And that said, as it's kind of like thinking, I think I described this as kind of like, and this is a very Saturnian slash Capricorn way of describing this, but <laughs> I think of this as walking up a winding mountain. That's life from a Saturnian perspective. And as you get higher and higher and you look back, your perspective is radically different. You can never see what's around the bend, but you have this perspective of seeing what's behind you from a whole new perspective. And so while the origin story never gets to change, how we are positioned to it can change with effort and time. Yes. Great
0: way to look at that. Thank you very
1: much. Thank (laughs) you very much. And so, you know, the thing about Saturn is that it teaches us humility, responsibility. It is a planet associated with mastery, but also loneliness and depression and isolation and cruelty. It's a a form of cruelty. There's many forms Mm. of cruelty. (laughs) And so I share this to say, as we grow up, it is on us to become firm, kind, permissive, yet honest and authentic parents to ourselves. Hmm. And some, when you're younger, that's a lot of parenting in reaction to your own childhood. And yeah. as you age, it's parenting in embodiment of what you need. Right. Yes. And I think that to me, Saturn is the most fascinating planet because of this, because it's like, you know, similar to your work, right? It's like, it's really about like getting in there with people to be like, okay, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with this? And that's what Saturn wants us to do. Mm. That's a Saturnian approach. Coaching in general is Saturnian. It's, Mm. we're going to work together on this. That's very Saturn. I mean, it's healthy Saturn. If I can speak in archetypes about Saturn, Saturn Has the archetype of being like Darth Vader, wearing like monochromatic clothing, all about your daddy issues, very hierarchical, (laughs) very punishing, or Mary Poppins comes in wearing a corset, but on an umbrella, has a magic bag of tricks, comes to help you heal your daddy issues, comes to help you heal uh, capitalism and your relationship to money. It's all very Saturnian. But does it in this magical way with a spoonful of sugar to make the medicine go down, <laughs> right? So Saturn can show up in both ways. And hopefully as we age and evolve through life, we can kind of take those parts of ourselves that are too Darth Vader-like and become a little more Mary Poppinsy. Yeah. And the parts of us that can be too like floopy and like flying all over town with the chimney sweep guy. Uh, yeah. We can, we can learn a little from Darth Vader. You know, it's about finding out where we need greater balance and balance. giving ourselves the gift of that.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Analogy.
1: Thank and you. That visual.
0: You. <laughs> so as we end, I wanted to, cause I'm not, um, I have, I'm animal girl. I'm an animal mom Aww. and I've had animals and golden retrievers is my, Dogs are my They're dogs.
1: They're the sweetest dogs in the world.
0: And I had listened to you. I think it was a question from, it was on your podcast, and someone had called in about their dog that she had to leave in another country and you, yes. she was saying the name. And so if I told you my dog's name that passed away suddenly a couple of years ago. Oh, honey, I'm sorry. If, if I said his name, would you, can we I end might, on that? It might be, it might be
1: us Let's take a peek and see what happens.
0: Okay. And then we'll be done.
1: Okay. <laughs> What's his name? Hudson. What did you actually call him? Hetty. And do you know why he died?
0: I, I don't. He was on the stairs when I woke up in the morning.
1: He just collapsed. So it looks like a, like an aneurysm. Like it looks like a head. He just is showing me his head. Was he a blonde dog? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Um, he's just showing, did he butt you with his head a lot? Probably to get me to pet him. Okay. So he did, because the first thing he's showing me is just like this, like he's showing me his head and I can't tell if he's showing me, it feels like a heart attack or an aneurysm. It feels like it, it, it was like he was fine. Yeah, he was fine. He was only eight. And then yeah. he just collapsed. Mm-hmm. That, which to me, feel, it feels like it was, he didn't suffer. He didn't suffer. He was uncomfortable for a few minutes before it was like a lightning bolt. He had a good death in that way. He was not suffering and he didn't have to worry about you, which I think was really important. He's very very attached. Did you have him his whole life? Yes. Yeah, yeah, very much attached to him. I mean, this is this is your I mean, I I, I want to say your child but it's only, this is your best friend. Mm-hmm. This is more it was not really just a child. This was a he was like your he took care of you as much as you took care of him is what mm-hmm. he's showing me and I can't tell. Was there another dog in the house or? Did- yes. Okay. How has that dog been?
0: We got another one to have us. So uh-huh. he wasn't alone that long. How's that going? Good. But he really was sad after that.
1: Yeah. Heartbroken, I think is a better term. I mean, he was really Hudson. That's his name. Yeah. Hudson. Yes. Hudson. Hudson was, was like the, like more of a parental figure to the other dog. And so he He just was aimless after Hudson died. You did the right thing by bringing in another, another dog. Hudson doesn't have, I mean, he had a great relationship with you. He had a great relationship with your family. I mean, he was your dog. He was your familiar, you know, but, but he had great social skills. Like he knew how to like be with people is what it feels like, but there was nothing that lacked in his life at any point, at any point. And there were hard times, but you didn't stop taking care of him in a way that made him feel really loved in those times. Do you have a health problem? Or did Do you have I? a surgery? Yeah. Or did you have a surgery when, when you had him? Mm,
0: I don't think so. Gosh, there goes my, I don't think I know, so. right?
1: No. He is showing me a, a, do you take care? You could take good care of your health, obviously. Yeah. I mean, I look at you when I am making assumptions uh, (laughs) that you take good care of your health. Let me just make sure I'm hearing this right. Interesting. Bear with me. So again, he's showing me the head. Do you have headaches? Mm -mm. So is he showing me his head or your head? I can't tell. So you don't have any issues with your head. You don't have headaches. You don't, nothing like that. Mm -mm. It must be his head. Hold on. Let me show you. I mean, not show you. Let me listen to what he's saying. I mean, he just keeps on shoving his head at you. Like that's really what it is. So I guess maybe this is just like his move. Do you remember that of him?
0: Yeah. Well, his, his brother does that all the time for me to, yeah. And he did it too. Like they just put their head in, you know, come on,
1: love me. I see. Okay. Okay. So I guess that's just what he's doing. I guess he's just being doing like a I'm trying to make this into something deeper. I think he's just like doing what he does with you. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
0: They'd love to put their heads, you know.
1: It's it's I see. Okay. They don't just do it so that you pet them. It soothes you, according to Hudson. Uh, oh. It soothes you, it makes you feel loved. It I see. He's showing me this now. Okay. Sometimes he feels that you get aimless, you get like lost in your thoughts. And so for him, I think for both of them, but I can only speak for him. It's his way of like bringing you back. I'm here. You're loved. Like you're good. Stay here. He has this like guide dog feeling about him, you know? And so that's what he's showing you. He's showing you that like, he's actually still very much with you. And that's why your other dog does that too, to remind you to be here. You know, it's like a, it's a, it's a form of love. It's a form of like, him taking care of you, not just asking for snuggles, although yeah. it's also asking for snuggles. It's not exclusively asking for snuggles.
0: Oh, i love that. Now, yeah. every time Harley does that, I'll just be thinking of Hudson. <laughs> like oh,
1: That's really sweet. Yeah. Harley and Hudson. That's very sweet, but it's
0: being present.
1: And that's why he wouldn't stop doing that because he wanted me to get there. He wanted me to understand what he was showing me. Yeah. That's the message. That. Yeah. Then he's, he's kind of like fading. So not mm-hmm. fading, but like he's, that's, that was but his message. Yeah, don't worry about his death, though. Okay. It was there was no suffering at all for for him. For you, yes, but for him, no.
0: Right. Well, he yeah. fell. He was asleep. He passed away in his sleep. He was in his sleep. Stairs.
1: Yeah. Interesting. It was very quick. He's showing me that he he was awake. He's showing me that. Like, I wonder if he was like asleep and then he felt a little weird and he woke up and then he was gone. Like it it feels very, very like we should all have such an easy death
0: okay, kind of
1: thing. Yeah. So just knocking on wood out of superstition of everything. And, (laughs) but yeah, yeah. I hope that's helpful. Yes, it is. Thank
0: you. It's my pleasure. I I was telling the girls about you and that you can speak to, you know, listen to the, be a dog whisper.
1: And they're like, mom, what do you think about Huddy? Oh, that's so sweet. Well, tell them that he is very, very well. He's, he had a great life. Yes, yeah. he did. Yeah, he's you. great with kids, eh?
0: Yes, very. Yeah, and you that got was him their After first the dog. kids were both alive. Yes, that was their first, you know, real puppy to eight year old experience. Very young. Yeah. Oh, terrible. That's so sad. Yeah, I'm so we, sorry. But we have Hercules now. So mm-hmm. he's come in and has a completely different personality. So,
1: yeah, that's yeah. awesome. That's really good. Well, I'm glad we got to do that at the, at you the you end here. It's my that. pleasure. And talking at the end, but. If we could just tell, you know, where we can find you. Absolutely. So you can listen to my podcast called ghost of a podcast. It comes out every, I say every Sunday, but I usually publish it Saturday nights and yeah, that's out weekly. And I take listener questions. So you can always go to my website at com and write a question into the podcast. And while you're there, I've got classes and, you know, free stuff I am also on social media at Jessica Lignato. and on
0: Instagram. It it is hilarious. You have (laughs) got to go to her Instagram. I just like could be there all day long. So entertained.
1: Thank you very much. I really enjoy post like performing the planets (laughs) and the transits as planets or like as a lemon or a piece of toast. Like I, I'm such a nerd that I just love that technology allows me to do that. So I know it's so fun. Thank you. I think it's so fun. And I, I feel like social media can be so burdensome sometimes. Yeah. So finding a way for me to really have fun with it has radically changed my feelings about social media. So that's been really great. So yes, yes find me on, on Instagram uh, and you will be entertained and educated, hopefully. Uh,
0: thank you so much. It's been so fun to meet you. Uh, it went places that I didn't even know where it would go. And I love that. That's I the love magic that of thank you so much a beautiful for conversation. Me. You're so welcome. Thank you for listening to the Uncover Your Magic podcast today. If you are inspired by what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast player. If you would like to connect with me with any questions, comments, or feedback, please contact me at the Uncover Your Magic website. Thank you so much for listening and don't forget, always look for the magic.